whether you're single, uh, maybe you're dating, uh, maybe you're getting ready to go to that next step of your relationship, or maybe you're newlywed and uh, you're still in that honeymoon phase and, and everything that you just saw up here, you, you were wondering why that was funny because you thought, well, yeah, of course, that's exactly what we're thinking. And of course, I'm also talking to people who have been around the block a time or two, veterans of the marriage game. All of these, all of these things will be covered in, in what we talk about these, in these next four weeks. The series is entitled, What Happy Couples Know. And I like that approach, What Happy Couples Know, because we all want to know what it is to have a successful marriage. By the way, again, starting next week at 9.30, we are going to be having a marriage maintenance class again as we're going through uh, Dr. Tony Evans' book, uh, Divorce and Remarriage. It's going to be over in the other building in our fellowship center. You don't need to uh, apply ahead of time. Just show up. Whether you are married or going to get married or have been married, uh, whether your uh, marriage is wonderful, whether it's rocky, it doesn't matter. This will be a great time for us to begin to connect with each other and, and support one another in our marriages as we listen to um, uh, Troy and Teresa York as they, as they facilitate that study. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's good to find people who are happily married, right? We'll buy books from people who are happily married because we want to find out the secret of happy marriages. What makes these guys so happy? What do they know that I haven't gotten yet? Well, the first answer to that question should take pressure off of you, and that's what today is designed to be. Because the first thing that happy couples know is nothing. Okay? What do happy couples know? They, they, they know nothing. You, you could even make the case that it's because they know nothing that they are truly happy. Because if you think that there's some magical, ethereal secret to, to the true happy marriage, well, then maybe you'll spend your entire marriage discontent, thinking this can always be better, and you pursue an ideal that your reality will never match up to. So perhaps this is just one of those things that we must distrust the creator of marriage and submit to his guidelines of what a marriage is supposed to be. So what did God mean for marriage to be? Well, we start out at the very beginning. Because in the beginning, marriage was not a, a human institution. By the way, who wants to live in an institution, right? Um, so it's not a man-made institution. It was actually designed by God. Genesis chapter 1. God said, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them then rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then in the next chapter of, of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, we get into the details of creation, and we read that after God creates Adam, he evaluates. Now, he doesn't evaluate Adam. All you women are going, he should have. He should have gotten rid of all the glitches before he moved on. Go, go through testing and testing and testing. No, he was not evaluating man. He was evaluating the context in which man was created. We read in Genesis chapter 2 that uh, the Lord God um, said, It is not good for man to be alone. 
I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God had formed out of all of the ground, all of the the beasts of the field, all of the birds of the air, and he brought these to the man to see what the the man would name them. And whatever the man named the, the living creatures, that's what his name was. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God then caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Ah, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You see, after God made Adam, he knew something wasn't quite right. And all the ladies said, amen, amen. There's something not right. Well, what was not right is it was not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, amen. I mean, watch what we do when we're alone. Okay, ladies, go, go away for a week or two and, and just come back and see what state the house is in, right? Or, or the kids, if we're watching. It's not good for us to be alone. God, God had created this, this wonderful human being in his own image, but he realized that the context was not good because there was not relationship yet. So he finally created for Adam after showing him the rhino. No, that's not it. And the giraffe, no, that's not it. And the armadillo, that's definitely not it. The porcupine, no. Finally, he brought Eve to Adam. And Adam recognized the perfection of this gift. A partnership, a custom-made partner for him. And he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And what an amazing relationship they shared at the beginning. Before sin enters into the picture, these two had a perfect relationship. They were both made in the image of God. They were both made out of the same stuff. They were equal in every way. But then, then something happened. Sin entered into the picture. The enemy came in. They twisted God's words, his instructions for this happy couple. The roles were reversed. As Adam gave up his responsibility to protect and to provide for his wife, And Eve, being unprotected, fell to the enemy's lies, and she began to lead her husband down the wrong path. And for whatever reason, maybe it was because she was naked. And guys, you put a, I mean, people, you put a a naked lady in front of a guy, we'll do pretty much what they say. Whatever it was, Adam decided that he was going to follow her into sin, disobeying the one rule that God had told Adam to not do. And from that point on, folks, this is what happened. Everything that should have been joyous, everything that should have been fulfilling, everything that should have been good and perfect, childbirth for the lady, working the ground for the man, those things now become complicated. Those things now become cursed. And what was supposed to be simple and fulfilling would now take a lot of work, a lot of toil, a lot of hard labor. And instead of joy, Pain was going to dominate. Now, that wasn't just true about childbirth. It wasn't just true about working the ground. The same thing could be said about the relationship itself. Now, what am I talking about? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, as God was meeting out the punishment, the, the, the consequence of their sin, 
He was saying to Eve in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, one of the consequences is your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, what does that mean? I mean, people have struggled with this for, for millennia. Going, what, what, what does this mean that your desire will be for your husband? It's, especially when you're not looking at it in Hebrew. When you're looking at it in English, it just doesn't make sense. Are you saying, God, that, that the, the consequence is that the, the, the wife is just going to want her husband? Is that what it is? No. In order to understand the Bible, you have to use other places of the Bible where it talks about the same thing. And in just one chapter later, we find another sin and another consequence to sin in Adam and Eve's firstborn children, Cain and his brother Abel. The same word is used in their story. If you're not familiar with the story, Cain and Abel both bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And Abel's was accepted as valid and Cain's was rejected. Now Cain eventually gets jealous, he gets angry, and eventually he will kill his brother. But before he kills Abel, God confronts him and says, Why are you angry? This is chapter 4 of Genesis. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, Cain, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Isn't that an amazing picture of what sin does? It lies in wait for you. It really does. But then check this out. This last sentence is is brilliant. God says to Cain, sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Folks, there's the same word, desire. There's the same word, desire. So what does God mean for Cain? What does sin desire of Cain? Sin wants to overpower Cain. Sin wants to control Cain. But he must master it. He must exert his force over it to not succumb. Folks, that's the exact parallel to what God had said to Eve, that you will desire your husband. It means that your desire will be to overpower and to control your husband. And not knowing what to do, he's going to then dominate over you. So now you see what's going on because of sin because Adam and Eve disobeyed, because they walked away from their God-given roles and responsibilities for their partnership. Now their partnership, their marriage, the, the relationship that they had will now suffer conflict. She will want to overpower him, to control him, and he will dominate her. Now, do you see why this might be an, an advantage for couples to say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't try to figure this out. Maybe I should just trust God. Just like Andy was, was, was uh, reading from the Psalm 37. Just trust God. Maybe, I mean, remember, Adam and Eve, they had wanted to, to find that wisdom. So they went to the, the, the tree of knowledge of uh, the, the fruit of good and evil. They wanted to know. They, they wanted to find out the secret. Well, folks, there was no secret. It's just a trust that the guy who created, the one who created marriage, he can be trusted. Just do as he has asked you to do. It was supposed to be simple. It was supposed to be fulfilling. Men and women were to be lovers and partners. They were to be co-heirs, co-regents over creation. Not competitors, but because of sin, the partnership, the equality became a never-ending power struggle. Now, where does that come from? 
Where does this power struggle come from? Well, for that, we're going to jump to the New Testament and look at the book of James, the letter that James writes to the church in Jerusalem. James chapter 4, he talks about these exact things. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Now, some of you are going, man, he's got security cameras in my house. Because that's exactly what we've been going through for the last six, seven months. How does he know? Well, folks, it's human nature. It's sinful nature. The conflict originates, according to this passage, from our desires. Now, desires aren't bad. They're probably good desires that you have. You might even have a desire to find out the secret of, of happy marriages. But desires can have the power to cause problems in marriage. And how so? Well, this is where I want to park for the rest of today. And, and because of our selfish nature, because of sin, there tends to be something that happens to our desires. And that's what this is all about, a little experiment here. So, all of us come into our marriages, and we have these desires. Um, like what we saw on, on the video. Right? You, you heard the bride and groom in their minds thinking about all the things that they would like uh, uh, of their desires. Like uh, perhaps there's a standard of living that, that you want a, a certain standard of living, or what you're supposed to do with your free time, like uh, whose parents get to be visited uh, this, this week or, the, or this, this year for Christmas, uh, finances, all of these different things, uh, family, um, your, your love tank, if you've ever gone through the five love languages and you say, well, I have a love tank and you're supposed to be filled, you know, I, I want to be, have my love tank filled up. We have all of these desires. And as we uh, come to our, to our marriages, we have this box that we bring to our marriage that we have put all of these desires in. So, you know, I, I want a big family, or I don't want a big family, or, you, you, know, you know, this is, uh, I want to be a, just a one family income, or one income family, sorry, or, or you know, I got my love tank desire, I've got my uh, standard of living that I, I would like, uh, and, and I got my, my time. So we bring these desires. None of those are bad, are they? N- none of those things are sinful in and of themselves. They, they are desires. You bring desires into your marriage. So does your spouse. But here's the problem. We, uh, this box represents marriage. And so we, we take our box that's got the marriages in them and we, we put them there and something happens. It, invariably it happens, whether it happens uh, right there at the altar or maybe a, a few months down the road or maybe a few years down the road. What happens to those desires is they turn into... expectations. Now, now, it was just a little desire. But you start piling your desires on your spouse, and all of a sudden it feels like you are just unloading all of these heavy things on them, and now it's homework for them. It's now their responsibility to make you happy, right? Um, there's, there's like, they were just desires. They were mere desires for you, but now for them, it's, it's like something else for them to put into their purse to hold for you. Am I right, ladies? How often does that happen? Here, honey, put this in your purse. Put this in your purse. Hold this. Hold this. Hold this. Hold all of these things. Now you bring yours and lay it on her, 
She brings hers and lays it on you. And all of these expectations are, are like, I didn't sign up for that. Now, let me be clear. God gives us expectations before we get married. I'm talking about expectations of faithfulness. I'm talking about expectations of intimacy. I'm talking about expectations of people contributing and actually working for a living. Those should be understood going in. That Yes, those are God's expectations for you. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff about your standard of living or about the family or where you will spend Christmas and things like that. Those are the desires that tend to just turn into these huge expectations. Now, why are those surprise expectations a problem? I've got some charts to to show you what I mean. So let's say I go into my marriage with Jenny and I've got 10 desires. And again, are desires bad? No. I got 10 desires. And let's just say that over the course of time, she's able to to fulfill seven of those desires. She she loves me and she says, you know what, I want to do something. I know that you desire this and so I would like to to do something to to make that happen for you. Look, look Look at that. Look, at, look, she's up there. Seven, that's pretty good. But now let me take those 10 desires and turn them into expectations. And she does seven of them. What does that leave? If she only does seven, that means she's got three that she's still in the red. Which, which means <clears throat> I'm not very grateful for her. I, I'm saying, okay, that's great. But sister, you got three more to do in order for you to be right at zero. Do you understand how horrible that is? When all of a sudden your desires become expectations that you want your spouse to to give to you. And that's exactly what James is talking about. He says, what causes quarrels and fights? Well, you're wanting something, but you're not getting it. And, And you have put pressure on your spouse to give it to you. So it's their fault that you're not getting it. And so we kill and we covet. Now, I, I think that the coveting part probably does, does happen. That, no, I want this. I, want, I see my friend. He's got this. Why can't I have this? Why can't I have it? Well, the killing part, he's talking to believers. I don't think he's talking about a problem of murder in the church. I think he's talking about killing people's spirits, crushing your spouse because they can't live up to all of your expectations. Oh, but they were just desires. Yeah, but look what happened. Look what happened to them. So what happens? When you get into a marriage where your desires have become expectations, what happens? Well, there are four things that I know that could happen. Number one, somebody can just check out or clear out. They're gone. Whether physically they're gone or they emotionally, they're not there anymore. They, they think, this is not what I signed up for. I never expected to have to meet all of your expectations. That's not my job. I'm out of here. So people, they clear out. People also compete with one another. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's a now a struggle between what's in your box and what's in my box. Because I think what's in my box is valid and what's in your box is stupid. That, that's what we say. And, and so we put each other down. And, and it's... It's like we don't want to be the weak one, right? You guys ever watch Everybody Loves Raymond back, back in the early 2000s? A great show if you want to learn about marriage. I mean, they really struggled through a lot of things. One episode that I will always remember is the, the suitcase at the bottom of the stairs. 
They had gone on a vacation. They'd come back and somebody had left a suitcase down at the bottom of the stairs and nobody was going to put it away because it was the, the responsibility of the other person to put it away. And so it stayed there for weeks. Ridiculous. Why? My box is good. Your box is dumb. And therefore, I don't want to do, deal with your box at all. You need to deal with my box. So people clear out. They compete. They also comply at times. You know, certain people just hate conflict. And, and so whenever they encounter it, guess what? They say, oh, well, I guess, I guess we have a conflict because I've got all these things. So let me just get rid of all of these things. I guess I don't need anything in my box. I, I, I'll take away all of these expectations. I'm sorry, honey, that I had expectations for you. I'll just take them all away. Problem? What were those expectations before they became expectations? They were your desires. Is that really what God wants of you? To just deny yourself of any good desires that he gave to you to have? Folks, that's a sad existence and you do not want to be that spouse that literally has just drained themselves of themselves because now you have nothing to really give to your spouse. So people clear out, they compete, they comply, and finally they compromise. And now you might think that this is the best. Yes, this is what we're getting to. Let's compromise. Let's have a compromise marriage. That's how we're going to stay married. That sounds good. But ultimately, even that is a trap. Because although it's a give and take relationship, it's like I say to my wife, okay, I gave this up. Now you have to give something up. You you see what a compromise is like? There's still this debt-debtor relationship. Well, I did it. You should have to do it as well. And as long as we're both giving and taking, well, then that's okay because we're all committed to staying married. Which sounds, again, great, huh? Except for when I got married to Jenny, I don't want her committed to the marriage. I want her committed to me. I don't want to just be committed to the big M, the the contract that we signed and we filed with with, with the state of Oregon. I want to be committed to her. That's, that's different. See, yeah, now, a, a compromised marriage, it can, it can happen. It's probably happened for thousands of years uh, now as people just say, you know what, I'll, I'll just give a little, they'll give a little, and everything will be fine. But I wonder, is that really what God created marriage and the covenant of marriage to be? I believe that we have to start in a different place when we're talking about our expectations and our desires because of what Pastor Andy read to us in Psalm 37. Verse 4, if you caught it, said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Not your wife, not your husband. Who ultimately is the bringer of the desires of your heart, the one who will fulfill that. It's, it's Jesus. It's our Lord. It's God. He said, if you delight yourself in me, which means don't try to figure it out on your own. I've given you my wisdom. And if you'll just rely and trust in me and my wisdom, guess what? It might work. It just might work. And I will, maybe even through your spouse, God will give you the desires of your heart. Now, as we wrap up today, that should let your spouse off the hook. Why? 
Because now, if you start thinking this way, it's not their responsibility to make you feel good about you. It's not their responsibility to, to bring all of the desires of your heart. I don't think that they even can. And so once you have that mentality, what you've done is you've already set yourself up for problems. God says he is the one who needs to be the fulfiller of our desires. And secondly, I believe that God is trying to tell us, listen, I want you to take all of those expectations and I need you to just make them. Make sure that they stay desires. Because he can then take care of those desires and you don't have to put those expectations on anybody else. Do you have something that you owe your spouse? Yeah. It says in Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. But then what does your spouse owe you? That's the question. What's in your box? That's your homework this week. I want you to take a gut check this week and start to look at what, is, what are the desires that you brought into your relationship, whether you're married now or whether you are divorced or you're widowed or whether you are thinking about getting married or one day want to be married. What's, what's starting to go into your box? What are the desires that you have? And then start to wonder or take a good evaluation. How many of those desires have you turned into or allowed to, be, to turn into um, expectations? And as soon as you start to, to ask those questions, I want you to then ask one more question. What does my spouse owe me? What do they owe me? Well, remember what the uh, answer was to what do couple, happy couples know? Nothing. Guess what? what? What does your spouse owe you? Owe you? Nothing. Would it be nice for them to give you things? Absolutely. That's, that's what we're going to be talking about next week, Okay. But right now, I, 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 let's just get out of this whole debt-debtor relationship with our spouse. Well, I did this, so you better do it back for me. You owe me. No, they owe you nothing. Both participants in a marriage, though, owe God something, don't they? They owe God their submission and their trust. And that's what this is ultimately all about. Gabe, why don't you bring your uh, team back up here? And... Um, as they come up here, I just, uh, we're, we're done. <clears throat> and uh, what I want you guys to do again this week is to find out uh, what you are uh, putting in your box, what have you put in your box, and which ones of those things have been turned into expectations. Why don't you stand with me as we uh, close out? I'm going to put this back into the box here and cover it back up so that we're all good and I can take it back to my next service all together. You want to see it again, come on over to the chapel and, and uh, listen to the sermon again. Some of you need to listen to the sermon again. Ha <laughs> Anyways, you know I love you. And I kid, I tease, but it's very, very good. Remember, next week, 9.30 in the, in the Fellowship Center, uh, there's going to be this uh, uh, marriage maintenance class. It'll be great to, to uh, see you there. Jenny and I are going to be a part of that class, and so I'd invite you to come and do that with us. Let, let me pray, and then we will be uh, out of here. Father God, thank you so much for giving us the covenant of marriage and then giving us your wisdom in your word about how to be married. Lord, forgive us when we have set ourselves up for failure at the very beginning or set our, our spouses up for failure at the very beginning by not allowing our desires to be desires only and not expectations and then to not see you as the one who will bring out the, the fulfillment of those desires. 
God, I pray for the marriages in this, uh, in this congregation, Lord, in this community, that, Lord, you would continue to strengthen them through your spirit, that they would begin to build their lives upon you, and, God, that they would really understand that your word has so much to say, that really they don't need to look elsewhere at all. Thank you, God, so much for uh, loving us so much that you have not uh, just told us to go do life on our own in our own wisdom, but you've given us your word. I would pray that we would lean heavily on that. God, we love you so much. Shine through us this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.